There's nothing more powerful than a good story. As Casper started to feel comfortable speaking up about his past, he also began feeling compelled to combat racism. But there was a problem. He wasn't equipped to do it effectively. The tools he had were the ones he'd acquired in the gang world, tools that turned out to be more likely to pour gas on the fire than to change people's minds. He didn't recognize this until a dramatic encounter at a town-wide party that was being thrown by a local restaurant owner. Casper went with a friend from work, an older black man who went by the nickname Junior, and they both brought their wives. So we're sitting there, we're eating or whatever, we're trying not to talk about work or anything going on at the shop, and a couple of people are, you know, kind of giving some looks over there or whatever. In the area where they lived, he says it was common for the four of them to attract stares when they went out together. But this time, one of the people looking at them got up and walked by their table repeatedly, and Casper and Junior both noticed a tattoo on his arm that looked to be related to white supremacy. It says something about um, rebel pride or whatever, and he just keeps walking by the table, you know, and like showing his arm, showing his arm. And I see Junior get more and more upset, you know, and I'm like, so what do you want to do, man? You want to get up and punch that guy in the face? Junior replied that they should either ignore the guy or just leave. But that wasn't Casper's way. I said, now fuck that. He ain't going to ruin our day. It was like, he comes back over and I'm saying something. Casper says that when the man came by again, he muttered something about not understanding why people couldn't stick with their own kind. And I started laughing, and I'm like, really, dude? And he looks over, and he's like, you talking to me? And I'm like, well, you're obviously talking about me. You know, and he was like, what makes you think that? And I'm like, you don't know why people can't stick with their own kind, huh? At this point, it may sound like Casper is painting himself as a hero, that this is just another white savior story. But bear with him, because it takes an unexpected turn after his misguided attempt at heroism. And it's Casper who comes away feeling humbled in the end. I said, what the fuck do you know about being a real hardcore white man? And I whipped my shirt off, you know. Now, I still had this tattoo here, of course, you know. And I got my gang patch, even though it it already said retired by then. But I got this giant swastika on my stomach. And I'm still in in half-decent shape at the time. I'm working in this fucking machine shop. I probably weighed about 190 pounds. And I'm just ripped. And I'm like, if fucking tell you something, punk. You know, I spent 12 and a half years in Jersey for killing a motherfucker with my bare hands. And while I was in prison, I can't tell you how many times I spilled blood for my race. You want to act like you're a fucking hardcore white man? Prove it, bitch. And he just walked away. <laughs> At that moment, Casper was feeling pretty pleased with himself. And he thought Junior would be amused, too but he wasn't. So Junior's sitting there, he goes, now how the fuck did that help anything? And I'm like, he ain't coming back over here, is he? And he goes, no. He's like, I, I, I know he ain't coming back over here. He just scared the shit out of him. He goes, but I guarantee you, you know, all his buddies and everything are going to be sitting over there like, oh yeah, look at this white guy hanging out with the N-word and, and ruining our race. And I was like, fuck, you know, yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. He goes, how are you going to fight against people like that by being aggressive? I was like, yeah, whatever, fuck him. Going back to eat my food, you know? And he was like, no. He was like, I really want you to think about that. 
and Casper did think about it. A lot. And he's right. You know, I, I did not help that situation. All I did was introduce violence to violence. And it took me a couple of years to really understand that. You know, you can't fight violence with violence. That's just going to make a, a fucking revolving door. It's just going to keep it going. And that kind of started me on another journey. You know, how do I approach this? Because of that incident and Junior's influence on him, Casper started working to develop better tools to fight racism. In this episode, we'll hear some ways he began using them to help others leave the white supremacy movement and start new lives. This is Hate No More, the story of one man's journey into and out of violent white supremacy. I'm Henry Rambo. Casper had met Junior shortly after his incarceration in Pennsylvania, when he was once again trying to rebuild his life. They worked together in a CNC machine shop. Junior was his supervisor, and during the evening shift, they were often the only ones there. We'd sit there, we'd run machines right next to one another, and, you know, we'd have these conversations just to, you know, stop from being bored, from doing a repetitive motion of running the same parts for hours on end. Casper really enjoyed Junior's company, and after a while, just as he had done with old man John, he opened up to Junior about his past involvement in white supremacy. And I showed him all my tattoos and everything. He was like, well, how do you feel now? And I'm like, honestly, I said, between you and everything that's happened since I got out talking to old man John and different people and just having this dialogue and learning different things about different people, I can't believe that shit anymore. Out of all their conversations, the one thing Junior said that stuck with Casper the most was a simple question. Why? Why had Casper believed those things? And I couldn't give him an honest answer. You know, I was still trying to figure that out for myself, I think. And I just told him, I don't know. And that started a whole new line of questioning. You know, questioning myself. Why did I do that? Why did I believe these things? You know, how did I get to that point? The more he thought about it, the more complicated Casper realized the answer was. It was more than just getting locked up for a crime I didn't think I, I committed. You know, it was more than just being angry at the system. And I started looking deeper into the indoctrination process of these groups. You know, and in a way, it was healing because it made me realize, like, it wasn't just me being a fuck up. You know, a lot of these people victimized me and I didn't even know it, you know, until Junior asked me that question and made me think about it. You know, and I, I, I can't thank him enough for that. You know, that one question has brought me so far, you know, in these past few years. Junior wasn't asking the question to make Casper think about it, though. Junior himself wanted to understand it better. And that led to a deep, empathic connection. The sort of connection that helps people transform each other. Junior, he started really thinking about this, I guess, when he'd go home or whatever. 
And he started coming back in. He was like, you know what? He was like, I see how that shit works. He was like, man, that that's freaking dangerous stuff. You know, and he was like, because if I was in your shoes, he was like, if, if it was reversed and a black person was telling me that, I'd fucking believe it. You know, and I'm like, really? You would believe that? And he goes, if I was in your shoes? Yeah. You know, and he goes, I can understand now, you know, why you would believe a lot of that. And he goes, the science shit? I don't know how you fell for that. Conversations like that have led Casper to believe that the propaganda is far more dangerous than the pseudoscience and pseudo-history. Because the propaganda shit plays on your emotions. And it's not that hard to manipulate someone's emotions, especially when they're in a vulnerable position like I was. He knows this all too well, because he himself used it to bring people into the movement. And the people he recruited brought in others, who recruited still others, perhaps with no end in sight. I just, I think about all this stuff and it's like, holy fuck, you know, how much damage did you actually cause? However much damage it was, he now wants to undo it. I really wish I could get in touch with every single person that I, I myself brought into the movement and just sit them down and be like, listen, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry I did that. And if they are still in the movement, do whatever I can to try and get them out. You know, and let them know, like, look, this is bullshit. You know, I fed you a fucking lie. And I'm sorry. Although he hasn't had many opportunities to talk to people that he himself recruited, he has engaged with plenty of white supremacists and he uses what he learned from Junior to approach them in a more effective way than he would have before. Now, you know, when I approach somebody who's still in the movement, I do try and have that dialogue with them. I try and empathize with them. And remember, you used to be that. You used to be that times 10. So you got to try and listen to them and figure out why they still believe this. You know, what got them indoctrinated you know what is controlling their mindset and deal with it with this new mindset casper began volunteering for a couple of organizations that help fight extremism one of them is called beyond barriers it was founded by jeff scoop who himself was the leader of america's national socialist movement the largest neo-nazi organization in the country until he stepped down in 2019 to begin undoing the damage he had done I asked Casper what Beyond Barriers does. Uh, they produce um, different podcasts and live streams, you know, talking about how do we address certain issues within white supremacy? You know, how do we approach these ideas and try and get people out? You know, um, one of the best people that works with Beyond Barriers is Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis is a black musician and activist who famously befriended several high-ranking members of the KKK, with the result that they left the Klan and handed their robes over to him. He now has a garage full of such robes and has written a book and produced a documentary about his experience. He's one of Casper's biggest personal heroes, perhaps because Daryl's approach is what worked on him. The way he does it is just treating them as human beings and talking to them. When founding Beyond Barriers, Jeff Scoop asked for Daryl's help for precisely that reason. After Jeff left the movement, 
of course, he got in touch with Daryl and said, you know, this is somebody that I need to talk to to see if they can help me, you know, figure out how they do things so I can try and get more people out of the movement. Casper says they do more than just engage with white supremacists. They work with people involved in any type of extremist organization and provide counseling for their families as well. You know, because a lot of times the families are like, what do I do? Some of the advice they give is general and for the family's own benefit. We always make sure to tell the family members, don't blame yourself. This is nothing that you did wrong. But as far as what families should say to loved ones who have embraced extremism, their advice is this. Don't tell them that they're stupid. Don't tell them that, you know, they're weak or anything like that because you're just going to push them further away. You know, just keep pushing positive reinforcement and educate them with facts if you can. You know, every now and then drop a scientific fact that, you know, no matter what color your skin is, you know, we all have the same DNA. Just that little kernel, that little seed, hopefully it'll grow. And most importantly, just keep telling them that you love them and you want better for them. Sometimes Casper encounters the reverse of that situation. Instead of trying to get a loved one out of white supremacy, sometimes it's the family that's keeping a person trapped in it, and that person wants out. One such young woman, whom we'll call Janet, emailed Casper to ask for help after hearing that he'd left the creativity movement. She herself had grown up in the movement, and as Casper says, Once she got old enough to kind of think for herself, she realized, like, I don't believe any of this crap. And it's something she just naturally did not agree with. You know, she wanted to be friends with, you know, non-white people. You know, she didn't see them as these subhuman, evil, you know, races that creativity portrays them as. For years, she had been playing the part her parents expected of her, and she was terrified to speak up. Because she knew, you know, if I come out and I say how I really feel, that's not going to end well. Although she was an adult, she was still fully dependent on her family, and she just didn't see a way out. And she went and she sent me an email and said, hey, you know, um, I'm trying to get out of the church, and in order for me to do that, I need to I need to leave my family and everything. Um, I don't really know how I can do that. I kind of feel stuck here, and I really need someone to help me. Casper himself wasn't able to help her directly, but he put her in touch with some people he knew who had connections, and that turned out to be enough. You know, they got her job, though. She's working. She's got a little apartment and just trying to make a whole new life. She wrote a letter to her family when she moved out, telling them what she believed, or rather, what she didn't believe. Casper says he saw screenshots of texts they sent her after they read it. And they were blowing her phone up and everything else, you know. I can't believe, you know, this freaking letter you left us, you race-trading little whore. If you ever come back, you know, we'll fucking bury you. You're not our daughter. And I'm like, holy fuck, how do you talk to your child like that? I would not tell my daughter, you're not my daughter. You don't belong in this family. I'll fucking kill you. You don't say that to your child. Even with the abuse Casper had heaped on him by his former comrades in SPS and creativity, 
He can't imagine what it was like for Janet. I had it bad, but, you know, at least they weren't my actual family, my parents, my siblings and shit. That's rough. He shakes his head and says he can't believe he used to belong to that group. There was a time in my life where I would have told these people, well, I don't blame you. And I think about that, like, dude, you were really that fucked up. You know, like you really gave up on life that much that you would have agreed with that shit. And I, it makes me wonder, like, is that what's keeping these people in this movie? Have they really just given up on everything to that point? Or are they just so hell-bent on, we're going to take over because, well, we should. You know, like, what is your motivation? Because mine was anger. I wanted to burn everything down. Most of the situations Casper has encountered aren't so dramatic on the surface. An example of a more typical case involved someone we'll call Kevin. He just got out of prison. He was like, you know, I I don't want to go back to doing this shit. I just want to, I want to get my life put together and just do what I got to do, stay out of prison, stay away from all this bullshit and just live my life. But getting back on your feet without falling into the same crowds and activities you were involved in before isn't easy. That's where Casper comes in. Having been through that himself, he was qualified to guide others through the process. That's why Beyond Barriers put Kevin in touch with him. I'm like, okay, where do you live? And he's like, Montana. I said, all right, give me a few minutes. Went on Google and everything. And I'm like, okay, this is where you need to go to get your social security card. Go get that first. I'm like, as soon as you get your social security card, get in touch with me again. We'll go from there. Over the next few weeks, Casper walked Kevin through various processes, such as getting a basic state ID card and then a driver's license. And in the meantime, while I'm telling him step by step where to get his ID, I hooked him up with, here's local counseling agency in your area. Go there, tell them you need a a case manager. You don't have to sign up for anything else but that. You know, if you want to go to therapy, I would actually recommend it. You know, you're just getting out of prison. You're stressing the fuck out. Talking to somebody might help you. Of course, one of the most difficult tasks right out of prison is finding a job. Casper typically directs people to their state employment services agency and tells them, Listen, whatever job you get, take it. I don't give a shit if it only pays minimum wage, whatever. It's getting your foot in the door. It's getting your work history. Take it. Let the managers and everybody see that you're a really good worker, whatever. Stay there, you know, for a couple of months. And if you want to stay there, great. If you want something better, you start looking. Kevin took Casper's advice and they stayed in touch. At the time of our interview, almost a year had passed. And he's already went through three different jobs, but he has a job now where he's making freaking, I think, He's making like nineteen fifty an hour, you know, because he he took a shit job, took a little bit better job, and now he's got this job making, you know, pretty good money. And I'm like, now just keep your fucking nose clean. Don't mess with them people no more and do your thing, man. Live your life. There are some who call this reputation laundering and say that people who want out of the white supremacy movement shouldn't have the chance to put their past behind them and move on. 
But without such chances, what else is there for them but to remain trapped in a vicious cycle of violence and hate? In any case, this was what Casper was able to do with the tools he had. And making himself available to former inmates in this way sometimes led to surprises. One person, whom we'll call Jack, sent Casper an email from an anonymous account and said he had cut off ties with the movement, but felt isolated and was looking for other people in similar circumstances. And I'm like, well, hell yeah, you know, I'm glad you reached out to me. I completely understand what you're going through. I've been there, done that. Neither one of them had given their name at this point, and Jack was reluctant to share even his phone number. Casper said he understood and offered to send a link that would enable them to have a video chat without exchanging any further information. Jack agreed. He clicked on the link, and that was when the surprise occurred. We both pop in there and kind of looked up and just went, Oh, fuck! It turned out that they knew each other, because Jack was in SPS, and Casper himself had been the one who recruited him years before in New Jersey. As you might imagine, they had a lot to catch up on. He was like, I heard you left. I didn't believe it. Casper told him that a lot of people had left, including Jeff Scoop. And that was at least as much of a shock to Jack as Casper's own departure. He didn't realize Jeff Scoop had left the movement. He was like, holy fuck, you know, I remember him back in the day. He was like, I didn't know he left. I'm like, dude, a lot of us old heads, as they call us, you know, have have gotten out. Like, we just, we finally saw through the bullshit and decided, man, fuck this. Casper then put him in touch with some of those other people. I told him, I said, listen, this is your community here. Like, you know. I, I get it. You've been out there flying solo thinking there's, you know, people like you don't ever show back up again. I'm like, there's a big formers community, man. There's a whole lot of support here for you. You know, quit stressing about it. I notice an interesting theme here. It's the allure of community that often brings people into the white supremacy movement. And it's the availability of another community, formers, that can help bring people out. But perhaps the most powerful tools for getting people out are stories. Stories like Casper's. Just knowing that other people have left gives many the courage to get out themselves. And Casper has seen this happening. Like I said, I've had this influx of people hit me up like, hey, you know, I just got out of the movement or I want to get out of the movement. In fact, on the very day that I was having this interview with Casper, He had just gotten off the phone with a woman who was trying to work up the courage to speak up about having been involved in white supremacy. She wants to talk about her experience with the far right, but she's scared to death. You know, she's afraid that people are going to judge her badly because she used to be involved with that. And she's scared that the far right is going to come after her. His message for people who want to get out and speak up but are afraid to do so is this. Yeah, it's going to be hard. You're going to catch shit from both sides. But your message is important. Your story is important. And you wanting to get out there and help is invaluable. He feels good about helping people muster the courage to get their story out. Doing stuff like that now, it really gives me a sense of pride. But at the same time, he says he gets nervous every time he does it. Because I don't want to expose anybody to the kind of hate that I get. But I guess in a way, you kind of have to, you know, and you have to let them know, hey, those people that are attacking you, 
they're the ones you're trying to reach. Everybody like me, we're not going to attack you because we've already been there. We've already gotten out. We know what you're going through and we're supporting you. So you're not trying to talk to us and tell us your story. We're trying to get your story out there to the people that still have this negative mindset. And hopefully we can change that. The author Richard Powers, in his Pulitzer Prize winning novel, The Overstory, wrote, The best arguments in the world won't change a person's mind. The only thing that can do that is a good story. And it's true. It was old man John's life story about giving up a career in the NFL to fight in Vietnam for his fellow Americans that opened Casper up to what he had to say. And later, when Casper shared his story with Junior, it was Junior's empathy that brought Casper further along in his journey. Because of Junior, you know, accepting me, even though I had that in my past, I'm approaching these people now like, hey, listen, this is what I used to do, but this is what I'm doing now. You know, if you want, I'd like to talk to you about it. And people are like, yeah, definitely. You know, I definitely want to talk to you about that. You know, I want to know why. I want to know how you got out and this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, oh, wow, people actually think just my story alone is helping. So, cool. Yeah, let's do it. And he's not alone. Other people are telling their stories, too. Now there's this whole community growing of formers, and it's like, cool, I don't have to hide from anybody any fucking more. I can just tell my freaking story and feel good about it. You don't have to be a saint or an angel for your story to make a difference. Casper certainly isn't. In fact, it's your flaws and mistakes that will enable others to see themselves in you and realize that maybe they too can change. And believing that people can change is critical. Sometimes that's hard, though. Some people seem utterly unreachable. And while it's true that some people never will change, it's also true that many who appear to be beyond redemption do change. Casper was one of them. We haven't yet heard about the darkest plans he had when he was in prison. In one interview, he told me what he'd been willing to die for when he was most deeply involved in the movement. And I later asked him what he's willing to die for now. We'll hear about that next time on Hate No More. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment right now, yes, now, to rate it, review it, and share it. To support us and get immediate ad-free access to all episodes, go to patreon.com slash hate no more, or click on the link in the show notes. Hate No More was written and produced by me, Henry Rambo. Sound design was provided by Michael Parkhurst at Nostalgic Innovations. Special thanks to my wife, and to Ryan, Allison, George, and, of course, Casper. Finally, there's more than enough outrage and hate in the world already. If you log onto social media at all today, instead of sharing what upsets you, do what you can to make kindness and empathy go viral. We all need to play a higher game. And with that, thank you for listening.